Good evening, everybody. Am I on the mic? Yeah? No. No? No. Push the button. Push the button. Now I'm on the mic. Yeah. can tell. Cool. Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Jesse Walsh, if you don't know me. Um, let me introduce myself. Uh, my family, my wife Tara, and our four children have been coming to Morning Store for about two years now. We started actually Christmas Eve, it was two years ago, and uh, we started helping with youth ministry this summer. Professionally, um, I'm an educator. I taught for 11 years, and uh, currently I act as a director, which is kind of like a principal of a private school, for traumatized and at-risk youth. So kids who are really struggling in some way in their life, right? Because it's something that's happened to them in their life that's outside of their control or maybe things that are even going on in their life right now. And um, that is really my passion. My passion is to help hurting young people because I was a hurting young person. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was five years old and I was a very lonely, very sad person growing up into my teenage years and into young adulthood. And then I met Jesus. And then I was somebody who was sad and lonely who knew Jesus. The difference was that Jesus took my sadness and my loneliness and made something beautiful out of it so that I could help others. And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus. If you know Him, that's awesome. If you don't know Him tonight, we're going to talk about who He is and we're going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you tonight to meet Him maybe for the very first time. He, can't, he won't take away all your problems. That's not, that's not what Jesus is about. He's not a magician. But He is the Lord and He is the Savior. And He is God and He loves you. And He has a wonderful plan for each of your lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So we're going to be, we're going to be talking about the book of Ecclesiastes. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that book. Ecclesiastes. It's a weird word, right? It's one of those books that's kind of hidden away. We can go ahead and advance the slide. Kind of hid it away in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, along with like Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Job. Maybe you've heard of those books. They're called wisdom literature in the Hebrew Bible. You can go to the next one too, Tim. Um, so the book, a lot of people believe the book was either written by or about King Solomon. And that's who we're talking about, right? Pastor Mike last week introduced us to King Solomon and we learned that King Solomon had this prayer that he wanted to be wise. He asked God for wisdom so that he could govern God's people, right? And God said, that's an awesome request, that you didn't ask for gold or riches or fame or fortune or pleasure. What you asked for was wisdom so that you could do the thing I called you to do. And so wisdom, wisdom was given to Solomon. And so a lot of those books refer back to Solomon, or they believe they were about Solomon. So this book in particular, there's actually two characters in the book. The first is the author. And the author talks a little bit in the beginning of the book, like the first chapter, and the last chapter and kind of sums up everything. And in the middle, he says there's this teacher. Now, the teacher and the author might be different. So maybe the person who wrote the book was Solomon. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was somebody else who was writing about Solomon. Nonetheless, probably the teacher in the middle of the book is supposed to be the teachings of uh, King Solomon. And the book is a response to Proverbs. So Proverbs talks all about how wisdom will bring blessing to us. And if we honor the Lord, if we fear the Lord, that good things will come into our life. So the cool thing about the Bible is it, it looks at things from all angles, right? So it doesn't just leave it at that. 
This book actually challenges that. It says, oh yeah, you think so? Then what about all these other circumstances, right? Where all these good people who say they love God and they serve God and all this horrible stuff happens to them. How do you explain that, Proverbs? And so this is what this book is about, okay? Let's go ahead and move to the next slide. And this is the big question. He's asking, what is life all about? He's going to look at all these different things in life. Okay, throughout the book. And the big question is, I don't get it. What is this all about? So, life, people get, get meaning out of a lot of different things in life, right? I have this slide here with a bunch of different pictures. But go ahead, call out. What are some of the things that people try to find meaning for their lives in this life? What do they do or what do they seek to try to find meaning? Relationships. Relationships, good. Taylor. Yep, absolutely. Go ahead, say it. Money, moolah, wealth, yeah, a lot of people search for that. Religion. Religion, absolutely. They try to find meaning out of religion. Anything else? Video games. Video games, yeah. More of that nowadays, probably than back in Solomon's time, right? Because there were no video games. Internet? Internet. I'm talking to the internet right now, right? How, how come, the, this is a sidebar, the internet has become a person. Do you realize that? Like I asked my students, where did you learn that? The internet told me. Okay. I didn't know the internet was a person, right? There's somebody behind the internet that's te teaching you these things. But anyway, that's a sad part. Okay, yeah, the internet. Anything else? Being popular. Being popular, absolutely. Yet status, right? How people think about you, Dustin? Very good. Yeah, your work, right? They find meaning out of their work, okay? So all those things are kind of up there. I gave you some hints. Good job. Good job using your hints. The football one? Oh, that's just for me. Because I love the Eagles. Ask my wife. Ask my wife what happens when the Eagles lose on a Sunday or when they win. Yeah. <laughs> can tell really quickly if I'm having a good Sunday or a bad Sunday. So, last Sunday was not a good Sunday. Okay, so you did a great job. Those are all the things. And believe it or not, in Ecclesiastes, the teacher talks about every single one of those things that you got. Well, not video games. But pleasure, right? Enjoyment, entertainment is kind of the same thing. He talks about all those things. Yeah, when I was a young person, you know, I, I came to know Jesus pretty young in my life to give my life to him. I'm probably around 11 or 12 years old. But, you know, I said that I loved God and I was following God. But really, I found most of the meaning out of my life out of acceptance of others. That's what I was really seeking after. I was seeking after um, people liking me. And that was my greatest fear, is that people wouldn't like me and that I'd be rejected. Because I experienced a lot of that as a young person. So all of us, and you can think in your own mind, what are the things right now in my own life you know, that I really seek after in my life to give my life meaning and purpose? What are the things I look... That's usually the good question. What are the things you look forward to on a daily basis? What do you get up in the morning to do? Right? That's the kind of thing you need to think about when we're answering this question. So, go ahead, next slide. So pretty, pretty quickly... We're not talking about vaping or smoking tonight, okay, guys? But pretty, pretty quickly, the author tells us his conclusion from all the teachings that the teacher is going to give us. And this is it. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. You say, Jesse, that's in the Bible? <laughs> Wait a second. I thought the Bible is supposed to like, teach us what's meaningful. Like, give us purpose. It's about God and the universe and, and creation and all this kind of stuff, right? And yet this is in the Bible. Yeah. This is in the Bible. This is his conclusion. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. So we're going to talk about what is he talking about here. So I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word. I love going back to the original language when we learn 
from the Bible because it tells us so much more. That's so rich if we can learn what the original language uh, meant in that time. And so you can see that the word is hevel. Everybody say hevel. hevel. It's like shovel without the S. Hevel, right? Say hevel. Okay. Hevel is, as you can see, smoke or vapor. So the translators, our English translators, tried to imply meaning into what he was trying to get at, right? When he says this, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. But that's not the literal words. What he's actually saying is, smoke, smoke, all is smoke. That's literally what he's saying in the Hebrew, okay? Go ahead, we'll move to the, the next one. So it's used 38 times in Ecclesiastes, this one Hebrew word, hevel. And so, let me ask you a question. Was there anything ever in your life that looked one way, but then later it ended up being another way? Right? You were so sure of this thing. Maybe it's a relationship. Like, as a young person, that would be the thing. I was so in love with her. Oh, we were going to get married and have children and blah, 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 blah. All right. Maybe the ladies do more of that than the guys. But anyway, sometimes that's just smoke, right? I mean, it feels really real, like you can grasp it, but when, when you actually go for it and try to hold on to it, it disappears somehow. And so the reason they use this word is because when we think about smoke, that's kind of like what he's going to talk about these other things in life. All these things are like smoke, okay? It's temporary, right? Smoke is there and you can see it, but then what happens? It just goes off right into wherever, dissipates, okay? Sometimes, I mean, people can do some pretty cool things with smoke, right? It can... Sometimes they can make like O's and all that kind of cool stuff, right? And it looks like a solid object even. And you think you could grab it, but what happens if you try to grab that smoke? It just disappears, right? Just disappears. Okay? So keep that in mind. It can't be grasped. It can't be held onto. Because when we look at some of these other things here he's going to talk about, that's going to make more sense. So in Ecclesiastes 1, we'll start there. King Solomon had it all. It says, I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. He was a pretty humble guy. Right? He says, hey man, I'm the wisest ever. I'm wiser than anybody else. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness to folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. So the Bible tells us that Solomon was the wisest man on earth. God answered his prayer. He had such wisdom, right? So he decided to use this wisdom. He said, I'm going to use this wisdom God gave me. I'm going to investigate everything on earth. Everything I can, think, can learn about, I'm going to do it. And I could do, I'm going to do. I'm going to go for it all and experience it all. He wanted to test the theory that was in Proverbs, that living by wisdom would bring blessing and prosperity to him. But instead, what did he learn? He learned pursuing that actually led to disappointment. Like he said, it was like chasing the wind. You ever try to chase the wind? You're not going to be very successful, right? Let's keep reading. Ecclesiastes 2. So then he said to himself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. I, so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building 
huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many uh, flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, hevel, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So Solomon pursues all these things, right? He pursues pleasure, he pursues wealth, he pursues happiness, he talks about trying wine, right? He tries all these different things, he drinks, says, you know, I'm going to do that. He buys all these things and makes these beautiful gardens, he has singers surround him with beautiful music, everything that he would want, like that, he gets it, he said, I'm just going to take it, I'm just going to get what I want to make me happy. But in the end, he says, all of it is what? Hevel. All of it's hevel, right? All of it's smoke. So then you say, of course it's hevel, Jesse. Because he wasn't serving God, right? He wasn't serving the Lord. If he was serving the Lord, these things wouldn't be hevel. If he was fearing God, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be finding it to be hevel. So then the writer addresses this issue too. Ecclesiastes 9, 2. So this might be a little challenging, but listen to what Solomon says. This too I carefully explored. This is in Ecclesiastes 9. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners. And people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. So Solomon says, I observed life and I thought, you know, doesn't matter whether you call yourself religious or irreligious, you call yourself good or you think you're bad. In the end, everybody dies. Well, that's pretty uplifting, right? Pretty uplifting message here. Yes, this is the Bible, right? It doesn't matter about your race, your sex, your status, whether you're rich or poor, none of that matters at all. Okay, we're all going to have to face death in the end. Death is the great equalizer. And so he concludes there, Ecclesiastes 2.11, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be hevel, right? Futile is the translation here. And a pursuit of the wind. Everything is hevel apart from God. That's the conclusion. Next part. Everything is hevel apart from God. So what should we do? How should we respond? Is that where he leaves it at? I hope not. Because that would be a really poor message for me to leave. Go out ahead, guys, to small groups now. Let's talk about life is meaningless. No. There is an answer. The Bible gives us an answer to the hevel dilemma. Okay? 
And there is a Hevel dilemma. Right? Because all these things look one way, but when we pursue them, we find that they're empty. They're false promises. So God provides an answer to the meaningless list of life, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15. And it talks about death, and it actually talks about um, life in this passage. And Paul says, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Paul's referring back to this term. He says, everything you do, for who? What does it say? Everything you do for? The Lord. The Lord. Right? Nothing you do, or oh, sorry, nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless, is ever hevel. Wow, that's pretty cool. And his Jewish listeners got this. They understood what he was referring back to. They would know the scriptures very well. Okay? And they would probably be thinking back to Ecclesiastes, some of them. In this case, that God has taken the meaninglessness of life and He's given it life again through Jesus Christ. So the key to solving the Hevel Dilemma is not religion. The key to solving the meaninglessness and the smoke of life isn't religion. It's not something, it is someone. The someone is Jesus Christ. Okay? And so there's a difference between knowing something and knowing someone, right? I know a lot of somethings about Abraham Lincoln. I'm a history teacher. So I know a lot of things I've read, I've heard, watched movies, etc., etc. But I don't know what Abraham Lincoln's favorite color was, right? I don't know what he liked to talk to his wife about after hours, when it was just the two of them. I don't know what his favorite meal was that he enjoyed. I don't know what his favorite book was growing up that he, that he read. I know he read a lot of books, but I don't know what the favorite one is. Maybe somebody does. Um, so, I know about Abraham Lincoln. I don't know Abraham Lincoln, right? I mean, it's kind of the same with my wife. This is my wife over here, Tara. Say hi, Tara. Hi, Tara. So if I wanted to bless my wife on a date, I would not take her to an Eagles game. I would not take her to an amusement park. Because why? Because I know Tara could care less about football and care less about roller coasters. Those are things I enjoy, right, that I like. But if I really wanted to bless her, I would make her a meal. I would buy her a peanut butter cup, a big one. And we'd watch some, like, Goofy, 90s, lovey-dovey movie like Clueless. We haven't done that for a while. Okay? That's something I know about her because I know her, right? I know the intimate things about her. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 1.3 is an interesting passage because it tells us something about wisdom. Because remember... The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, okay, wisdom, I have all this wisdom, etc., etc., and it's all meaningless, right? 
And this is what Paul says here. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. If you want to know wisdom, you need to know Jesus Christ. You cannot know wisdom unless you know the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? The people in the world that think they're so wise and so learned, that's all foolishness, guys. That's all hevel. What's really going to matter in the end is who you know, not what you know. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the person of Jesus? That's what changed me. When I came to know the person of Jesus Christ, and he stepped into my life, a little boy who was abandoned by his dad when he was five years old, and he spoke to my heart and said, You're mine. That changed my life. And that is who Jesus is. So Ecclesiastes 12, the author's final conclusion, and that's the whole story he says... Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So I want to I leave you with this. Uh, the last slide here. It says, accept Hevel and embrace the gift of God. So the teacher talks about this if you read the book. And I want to challenge you guys. Um, if you get a chance, read the book. It's 12 chapters. It's, a really, it's one of those books you want to read all the way through. You don't want to read chapter, chapter. If you read it, it's supposed to be read as one, one sitting. Um, but he talks about the gifts of God. And he talks about one of the gifts of God is just being able to enjoy the things God gives us as they come. right? Whether it's a good meal or it's hard work that's well done or it's a relationship that we have. He said that is a gift from God if you can enjoy that right? in the moment. If you can just accept Hevel, if you can accept the fact that that might not be there forever for you. Right? Those good things that God gives us to enjoy, He can take them away as soon as He can give them to us. That's not the thing we're supposed to, we're supposed to put our meaning and our purpose on. Right? We're supposed to put our meaning and our purpose on the one who is the giver of the gift, not the gift itself. Right? So if you want to live a life that is free from hell, you have to know the greatest gift that God's given us, and that's Jesus. Okay? Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who received it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. There was this guy named Saul. He came like hundreds of years, maybe thousands. I don't, I'm not quite sure the timeline. After Solomon. You guys know Saul? You ever heard of him? Right? He, he had another name, Paul, right? He was actually a pretty intense guy. He went around arresting and killing Christians for a while. Until Jesus Christ showed up one time and revealed himself to him and said, Hey, by the way, now you're going to serve me. Right? And he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. And he says something interesting here that I want to read to you. It's in Philippians 3. So it's not on the slide. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can turn to Philippians 3. In verse 5, Paul talks about this same thing that the writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about. And I want you to pay careful attention to his conclusions, okay? He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. 
And as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He basically, if you're going to look for a religious guy, this was it. Right? He's like, I, you couldn't find fault with me as a Jew. I abided by the law. I did everything by the book. I was the perfect Jew. The Jew of Jews. I had plenty to brag about. I had status. People knew me. I was important. But look what he says in verse 7. Once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless, hevel, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obedience to the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. This guy, Paul, he got so extreme about knowing Jesus that he said, my Jesus, he suffered, so I want to suffer too. Because that's, what I, that's how bad I want to know Jesus. I don't want to know just the good things that He's going to give me and how He's going to bless me. I want to understand Jesus' suffering. I want to know Him and what He went through. I want to go through it with Him. Because He died for me. He had mercy on me. I was a murderer, right? Saul was a murderer. He had blood on his hands. Imagine how guilty you would feel about that. And not only murdering anybody, but murdering God's people. Murdering Christians. I mean, that would be an awkward meeting, right? I mean, imagine this guy after he got saved coming to the first church meeting. I don't think he got the, the hand of brotherhood. You better believe that he met people, probably, that knew people, either relatives or friends, that he imprisoned or that he killed. Imagine that. But Jesus got a hold of his life. And that's all he was about from that point forward. I just want to know Christ. Everything I've done, good or bad in the past, doesn't matter. It's all worthless. It's all garbage. It's all rubbish. All that matters is knowing Jesus. So God makes this offer of a gift through Jesus Christ. And some of you may have received this gift already, and that's awesome. But maybe some of you are sitting here tonight and you're listening to me. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is touching your heart. And you're saying, you know what, I kind of relate to this guy, this Solomon guy. Because I've tried a lot of different things in life. And it just comes up empty. I come up in the same place of just kind of grasping at smoke. And not getting at anything. Jesus is here tonight. He's here in this room. He's present. I'm telling you, He's real. He has power to touch your life. And all you need to do is say to Him, Jesus, come touch my life. I want to know you. That's all it takes. The Bible talks about this word belief, if we believe in Jesus. Do you know what that word means in the Greek? It means this. No. Good, good guess, though. I understand why you said that. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> At 42, I didn't imagine anybody would say that to me. Look what I'm doing. What, what am I doing? 
grasping, thank you, I'm holding on to something, right? I'm grasping something. That's what belief means. Okay, it's not about here. It's not about believing something in your head. It's about grasping, taking hold of something you want and, and not letting go of it for life. That's what belief is in Jesus. That's what he does for us, actually. He says, just, all we need to do is this. Because that's usually how we start our faith in Jesus. Just taking a little grasp like that of his hem. But he takes hold of our life then, right? He says, I will never let you go. So, I want to challenge you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask all of us to pray together this prayer, okay? And if you pray this prayer for the first time, you've never prayed it before, asking Jesus to come into your life, and that's something that's real and sincere to you, I want you to tell your small group leader or somebody, one of the leaders here that you trust tonight that you've done that. Can you do that for me? Because we want to help you to continue to come to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus. And it's important that when we do that, that we confess that, we tell somebody else, so that it becomes real. So let's bow our heads. And everybody, bow your heads, and I'm going to ask you to pray this with me out loud, okay? Say, Lord, Lord I confess that my life apart from you is meaningless. I admit that I've lived a life independent of you. But I thank you that you love me. And you sent Jesus to bear my sin. And to die so that I could know life. Please forgive me and cleanse me. Send your presence into my life and help me to find purpose and meaning in you. Thank you again for the many blessings you've given me. Especially the blessing of knowing Jesus. In Christ's name, Amen.